Um, Genesis chapter 27. We, we like to stand out of reverence for the word of our Lord. And uh, in, in my um, preparation, I realized there's no way I'm going to get all the way through, um, through Je- all of Genesis 27. So we're only going to go as far as verse 29 um, this morning. And we'll continue um, later on next week, Lord willing. But I'm going to read um, all of Genesis 27 for you this morning. Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them delicious, pre- prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to him to be mocking and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near me, near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. And his father said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And and and, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. 
It says, the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his, Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully. He has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live. And, your and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, <clears throat> The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about, about you now by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? This is the word of our Lord. And please be seated. And let's pray again together. <clears throat> Sovereign Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Lord, we see human depravity. We see people who do not deserve anything from you but your wrath. We see Isaac seeking to bless one who is not supposed to be blessed according to your divine oracle. And we see Rebekah and Jacob lying despicably. And yet, Lord, your will 
will be done in their lives. Your blessing will come to the one to whom it has been given. We pray, Lord, as we consider this passage, we see things that to, to, to human fleshly thinking we, we seem to be unfair to us. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see and to understand who you are and help us to understand, our, understand who we are in light of who you are. Lord, work in our hearts, I pray, for the glorification of your name and for the building of your church. Amen. This morning, as we consider, as we continue our study of the Toledot of Isaac with its focus on the transfer of the blessing to Jacob, we're witnessing a very dysfunctional family, one whose behavior is worthy of a sleazy tabloid talk show. But we, before we observe what happens, let's review. Abraham has died. Ishmael has gone into obscurity, but the Lord has promised to bless Isaac. But then we know that Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was barren, and so Isaac prayed for Rebekah, and she conceived twins in her womb. And when the, the, the twins were within her womb, were wrestling, were, were obviously it must have been extremely uncomfortable for her, she, she called out to the Lord and asked the Lord what was going on. And the Lord responded with a divine oracle in, in chapter 25, verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. And one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when the, the twins were born, Esau was born first. And, and Jacob came out grasping Esau's heel. Then years later, the, the last part of chapter 25, when, when Esau came in from hunting, he was famished because he'd had no success in his hunt. And so he wanted some of the red stew that Jacob was preparing. And Jacob says that he would give him the stew only if Esau gives him the birthright, the rights and privileges of the firstborn son. And so Esau swore an oath to Jacob to sell him his birthright for a bowl of stew. And we're told in chapter 25, verse 34, thus Esau despised his birthright. So now fast forward a number of years. Isaac had moved with his family to Gerar because of the famine. And we saw repeatedly how the Lord had blessed Isaac in spite of famine, in spite of, of Isaac's own sin, in spite of conflict with the local people. But now with chapter 27, Isaac has grown old. And he feels that his time to die is drawing near. So he seeks to bless his son. And again, the bestowal of, of the blessing to Isaac's rightful heir is the central theme of this chapter. But who is the rightful heir? Isaac sought to give the blessing to Esau. Rebekah wanted Jacob to have the blessing. Jacob deceives Isaac to take the blessing. And then next week we'll see how Esau received instead an anti-blessing. And then Esau sought to kill Jacob for stealing the blessing and how Jacob will flee to Laban. And we'll see what happens to Jacob there in the coming weeks. But as we look at the behavior that's described here in this chapter, we see that no one deserves the blessing. 
Nobody deserves the blessing. That, that none of the human actors in this, in this story come out looking good. Isaac rejected the oracle of the Lord that the older would serve the younger. Rebekah rebelled against her husband's authority and plotted to deceive him. Jacob repeatedly lies to his father, even committing blasphemy in the process. Esau break, breaks his oath, as we'll see next week, concerning the birthright, and is filled with murderous rage when he loses the blessing. So in this, in this passage, we, we see difficult issues surrounding God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. How can God use sinful means, the sinful means here employed by Rebekah and Jacob, to achieve his good ends? Th these are hard questions. And th but these are questions that I trust we'll be, we'll be able to answer more readily by the end of our study of Genesis chapter 27. In this chapter, we, we see God's faithfulness to preserve his promises to bless the seed of Abraham. And how it, not even grievous sin and, and family conflict can thwart his purposes. How God's will will be done. Now, there are five scenes in this chapter. Again, we're going to deal with the first three this morning. But in, in chapter 27, we see in verses 1 to 4, Isaac's rebellion. In verses 5 to 13, we see Rebekah's ruse. In verses 14 to 29, we see Jacob's robbery. And in four, verses 44 to 46, we'll see Esau's rage. And then in chapter 28, verses 1 to 9, we'll see Jacob's run. Again, we'll, we'll deal with the first three this week, and, and next week we'll finish the, this chapter and move into chapter 28. But, but notice, as, as we walk through this passage, that, that never is the, is the family ever gathered together in, in this chapter. But they only meet two at a time. They, they, they are a house that is divided. But we're going to see how even in this hostile environment, God's will will be done. So first of all, let's look at, at Isaac's rebellion in verses 1 to 4. As the chapter begins with Isaac on what appears to be his deathbed, Isaac is old and is going blind. But physical eyesight is not the only blindness that Isaac is going to exhibit in this chapter. He calls his son Esau and says to him, My son, Esau responds, Here I am. And then Isaac says in verses 3 and 4, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I'll die. Now, we can't tell here from this chapter, but, but Isaac is actually going to live for another 20 years. The whole time that, that Jacob is, is in, in Padanaram, Isaac is still alive. But here he assumes he's about to die, and so he wants to bless his eldest son. We need to talk here for a few minutes about, about what the blessing means. The, the, this word blessing um, is in, and the, well, the root of the word blessing is used 22 times in this chapter, 22 times. But, but blessing and birthright are, are really central to the discussion. The, the birthright that we talked about from chapter 25 and the blessing that, that is the focus here, as we're going to discuss a little bit later from, uh, from Romans 9, this, this blessing here refers to, uh, well, points to the eternal blessing. 
We'll talk about that later on. But again, this, this root for bless or blessing is used 20 times in this chapter, and it is closely tied to the birthright. The, the words birthright in, in Hebrew, bekorah, and blessing, baraka, are, are similar. The, the, the author here, Moses, wants us to, to see the, the, the connection between these two things. But whereas as birthright focuses mostly on the inheritance of possessions and position in the family, blessing speaks primarily of future benefits. And again, although they're, they're not always joined, generally the birthright, the one who received the birthright also received the greater blessing. They're used together in, in verse 36 of this chapter where Esau says of Jacob, for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and now he's taken away my blessing. Again, there's, there's, there's an overlap of what's happening here. They're considered together in, in Hebrews chapter uh, 12 verses um, 16 and 17. Let's just go there for a second to um, Hebrews chapter 12. And this is speaking of, there's a warning against the behavior of Esau. Uh, Hebrews 12, 16. Well, and from 15, see too that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, that by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. We'll look at that in more detail next week, Lord willing. Esau sold his birthright, and so he couldn't inherit the blessing. Esau had sold his birthright. We're told he rejected his birthright. He despised his birthright in selling it for a bowl of soup, and now he couldn't receive the blessing. It was customary uh, in that culture that the eldest son would be the one to receive the blessing. And, and you can see this custom repeatedly in Scripture. Uh, where fathers, as their, as their lives draw to an end, they, they draw their family close for a final blessing. And most often, it was the eldest son who received the blessing. But when that's not the case, when another son besides the firstborn receives the blessing, something very unusual and something very important is taking place. A statement is being made. So Isaac, in, in choosing Esau, it is motivated, at least in part, by cultural tradition. By cultural tradition. There's also another reason why Isaac wanted to, to bless Esau. Go back to chapter 25, verses, uh, verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because of, he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Esau was Isaac's favorite. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about the dangers of favoritism in parenting, and, and this was no exception. This, this favoritism exacerbated an already difficult relationship between the two boys. So in choosing Esau, Isaac is motivated also by personal affection. But consider also another reason why Isaac preferred Esau, because he ate of his game, as we saw in 25-28. Isaac was motivated by his appetite. That's why he tells Esau to go hunting one last time to bring him the game that, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Who does this remind you of? Esau. Isaac looks a lot like Esau. Esau sold his birthright for some stew and now Isaac is going to give away some blessing for some meat. 
So Isaac, in choosing Esau, is also motivated by physical appetites. All of these motivations, cultural tradition, personal affection, and physical appetite, are, are not bad in and of themselves, provided they are submitted to another far higher motivation, obedience to God's word. Traditions and affections and appetites, if, they, if they're kept in their proper place, are not a problem. But here they blinded Isaac to the spiritual reality. The Lord had clearly declared in his divine oracle, while Jacob and Esau were still in the womb, that the older would serve the younger. Now, Isaac may or may not have known about, about Esau selling the birthright. He may or may not have known about that, but he certainly knew about this blessing or this, this oracle of the Lord. And so as much of the focus in this chapter is, is on the deception of Jacob, and, and rightly so, we also need to remember that, that Isaac is rebelling against God's word. God commands us to submit to divine revelation, not to cultural tradition, not to personal affection, and not to our physical appetites. Are there any areas in your life where you are rebelling against God's word? where you are rebelling against God's divine revelation? Do you follow tradition, cultural traditions, family traditions, or religious traditions that are contrary to God's word? Jane just sent me an article um, last night about, about, the, uh, about nativity scenes and it, and it being a, a fracture of the commandment to not have false graven images. And, and if you're interested in talking more about that, I'd be, I'd be happy to chat with you about that. It's something that I need to, to evaluate and reevaluate, something I've been thinking about, but in light of God's word. Or are you rebelling against God's word with your personal affections? Parents, are you, are you preferring one child above another? Or, or fellow Christians, are you preferring one believer above another? Are you seeking opportunities to love those in the church who you don't naturally gravitate towards? Or are you just sticking to people who are like you? People that you feel comfortable with? Christ-like love is, is seeking to, to, to love everyone, even and especially those who are, are more difficult for you to love. That's how, how Christ loves you. Or also think about it from the other direction. Are, are you... Do you have, have personal affections that you shouldn't have to, to, to somebody, perhaps to, to a member of the opposite sex at, at work or at, or at school? Or are you cultivating friendships that are going to lead you astray? Are you cultivating friendships that are going to draw you away from Christ? And what about physical appetites? Maybe you're like Isaac and you have an, an unhealthy appetite for food. Maybe you're, you're too motivated by pleasure or, or career so that you leave your, your, your spiritual and familial responsibilities undone. We need to examine all of these things, and really we need to examine all of life according to God's word, and we need to unreservedly submit to God's word, to all of God's word. And Isaac was blinded to God's word by cultural tradition and personal affection and, and physical appetite, but don't, don't make the same mistake. Friends, the means justify the ends. 
Isaac should have obeyed God no matter, no matter what he personally wanted, no matter what result would follow. And he should have left the consequences to God. God's will will be done. So now we, we see how, how Isaac should have acted as though the, the means justify the ends, but now let's see how Rebekah acted as though the ends justify the means. As we look at Rebekah's ruse in verses 5 to 13. Rebekah was, was eavesdropping when Isaac was having a private conversation with Esau. We've already seen that the sort of, this sort of behavior from Sarah as she eavesdropped with, between, between Abraham and his conversation with the divine visitor. Rebekah knows when she hears this that, that, what, that what Isaac is doing is against God's word. However, it seems clear that, that like Isaac, she was also motivated by personal affection. Remember in that, in that same verse, in verse 28 of chapter 25, that, that Jacob was her favorite. And so she decides to take matters into her own hands. And so she comes up with a plan. After Esau heads out hunting, Rebekah relays what she heard Isaac say. She repeats it almost verbatim, but for one odd addition. To Isaac's promise to bless Esau, she adds the words before the Lord. And I, and I really don't know why she would add these words here. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense to me. If anything, it seems that by adding those words, it would actually further dissuade Jacob from following her plan. But her scheme is to have Isaac get two young goats for her to prepare just the way Isaac loves. And Jacob would bring Isaac the food, and then Isaac would bless Jacob instead of Esau. But Jacob protests. Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. It's interesting that, that the word that's trans translated there, smooth, is also can be used in the, in the, in the way we would say someone, he's a smooth operator. Jacob is, is certainly a, a smooth operator. He says, if my father feels my skin, he'll know that I'm not Esau. It will seem as if I'm mocking him and I will be cursed instead of blessed. What do you notice about this protest? Jacob is more concerned with the temporal consequences of being caught than with the morality of the act. He's more concerned about, about what will happen to him from, from Isaac than he is about honoring and obeying the Lord with his behavior. Earlier we talked about motivations for, for wrong behavior. I talked to the kids about some of these things. I wonder what motivates, what motivates you to right behavior? Are you more motivated by fear of, of earthly consequences or of eternal consequences? Are you more worried about your reputation or loss of favor or position or finances or some other earthly loss? Or are you concerned to obey the holy omniscient God. I know the context is different, but Matthew 10, 28 still fits. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now I'm sure we can all think of times that we have done the right thing for the wrong reasons. In fact, if you understand your behavior biblically, you'll realize that every time you've done the right thing, it's been mixed with wrong reasons. 
Consider Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You have no righteousness of your own. The only righteousness that you have is the righteousness that comes to you. It's the righteousness of Christ applied to you. That is your only righteousness, and you only receive it if you are a Christian. If we're honest, we need to realize that, that we've, we've never really done the, the right thing for totally pure reasons. If we understand and, and judge ourselves according to God's word, and this is the standard this, that, we, that we need to understand that we, that we fall under. This is the measuring rod, not our sense of, of doing the right thing, but, but, but how God sees it. Everything in light of what we talk about so often, the great command, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. None of us measure up to that perfect standard. So Jacob, in, the, in, this, in this sense, he, he, he fears a curse. But Rebekah is undaunted, and she vows to suffer the curse in Jacob's place should he get caught. Now, the only time we've seen so far in Genesis that someone is willing to take a curse for someone else is the covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 15. As God walks through the middle of the sacrificed animals by himself while Abraham is sound asleep. And what God is saying in doing that is that, that he will suffer the curse for disobedience for the sake of Abraham. Here we have Rebecca saying that she will, will suffer, admittedly, a, a much smaller curse, but it, it's an echo of what we saw in Genesis 15. Again, for Rebecca, the ends justify the means. She is, is seeking the promised blessing from the Lord, and that's a good thing. She wants that for her son as it's been promised, but she goes about it in a totally wrong way. Yes, Isaac was wrong in, in seeking to bless Esau. But, but in concocting a plan here to deceive, to deceive Isaac, Rebekah usurps her husband's authority. And so rather than dealing with the situation biblically, rather than praying for her husband and, and reasoning with him, she sets out to deceive him. Rather than trusting in the Lord to achieve his own goods, leaving the outcome to him, she sins. This is a lack of faith. This is something we all need to be careful of. But wives, I, I, I believe that, that you might face a bigger temptation for this even than your husband's here. If your husband does the wrong thing, you might be tempted to change him using the wrong means. You, you might be seeing the situation clearly and, and correctly and seeing that, that he is sinning in a particular way, but, but rather than, than submitting to, to God and, and dealing with it in the right way, you, you take matters into your own hands. You, God calls you to reason with him from the word, to pray for him. And if he doesn't listen, to pray more. But not to harp on him about it. This is what first. Peter 3, 1 to 6, is, is, a, is about this is a, a helpful guide for you in this process. And in it, in it all, trusting the outcome to the Lord. And the church can really be a benefit and a blessing to you in this process and, and helping you to, do, to go about this the right way. But again, for Rebecca, the ends justify the means. 
Now she's going to get what she wants. As we'll see next week, she's going to lose a lot in the process. Rebecca's objectives are, are central to this narrative. In her mind, they eclipse the Lord's objectives. She, she lacks faith, even though the Lord's will will be done. Again, is there, is there something in your life that you desire? Even a good thing that, that you're not sure, maybe you're fearful that you're not going to get. Now, now for the moment, I'm not talking primarily about, about, about eternal blessings, but temporal ones. For me, for many years, something that, that I wanted but wasn't getting was, was married. I, for years, I wanted to get married and, and it, it wasn't happening. This is an opportunity for, for me to grow. For, for you, it might be something else, children or, or friends or, or a home. Well, Psalm 37 was and, and is a, a huge comfort for me in this, but the whole psalm is worth memorizing and, and preaching to yourself on a regular basis. But let me read just verses 3 to 5 of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Rebecca sought the right thing. She, she sought the blessing for Jacob, but she sought it through the wrong means, through deception. Instead of trusting the Lord, she, she masterminded a, a devious plan. And now Jacob acts on her orders. In verses 14 to 29, we see Jacob's robbery. Jacob went and fetched two young goats and brought them to his mother, and she prepared them just as Isaac loved them. And then she takes some of Esau's best clothes out of the closet and puts them on Jacob. And she takes uh, the skins of, of the goats and puts them on, on Jacob's arms and, and on his neck in order to deceive Isaac into thinking that, the, in order to thinking that Isaac, is, sorry, that Jacob rather, is, is hairy. Thinking that Jacob is really Esau. This reminds me of the, the first time in Scripture that somebody is being described as, as being clothed with animal skins, but it's for a very different purpose. As God clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins in order to cover their sin. But here the skins are part of the sin. Rebekah gives the food to Jacob and sends him to Isaac. And Kenneth Matthews observes that Rebecca is the primary actor, making Jacob little more than a puppet as she dresses him and pulls the strings that put him into action. And Kenneth Matthews draws similar conclusions about Jacob. He who is later capable of wrestling with God wrestles little with his mother or with his conscience. And Jacob goes to his father and says, My father. And Isaac responded, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Isaac seems a little suspicious from the outset. Uh, imagine how Jacob's heart must have been pounding. He tells his first lie. I am Esau, your firstborn. This is actually a half-truth because there's a sense in which he is the firstborn, at least in, in status. He owned the birthright that Esau had despised. But nonetheless, this is a bald-faced lie from hairless Jacob. His intent was clearly to deceive. And once you've told your first lie, the second one comes more easily. 
I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Isaac's suspicion is aroused again. How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Now Jacob lies again, this time blasphemously, because the Lord your God granted me success. Again, this is a half-truth. The Lord had granted Jacob success, but not at all in the way that he had indicated here. The Lord's will, as declared in the oracle, was about to be achieved through this wicked deception of Jacob and Rebekah. So in this sense, the Lord had granted them success, but the ends do not excuse this blasphemous lie, giving credit to the Lord for successful hunt when it knows full well what had really happened. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Jacob is a scoundrel, but he's about to receive the blessing. Isaac's suspicions are aroused again, and he asks Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. And Jacob came near, and, and Isaac felt the goat hair on his hands. And he says the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Now Jacob's heart must have been beating out of his chest. He and his mother had accounted for Isaac's sense of touch, his sense of smell, his sense of taste. They didn't have to worry about his eyesight, but his sense of hearing almost spoiled the plan. Nonetheless, he would bless Jacob. And Isaac asked one last time, Are you really my son Esau? This is yet another opportunity for Jacob to do the right thing, but again, Jacob lied. I am. The lies flow so easily now. Isaac was convinced. He told Jacob to bring the meal, and so Jacob brought the meal and the wine, and Isaac ate and drank. And yet again, Isaac asked Jacob to come near. Come near and kiss me, my son. And so Jacob kissed his father. The wickedness of this kiss would perhaps only be surpassed in Scripture by another kiss that would take place many years later for 20 pieces of silver. Isaac smelled the garments and he said, This smells like Esau. I would have thought that Jacob would, more, would smell more like goat, but Isaac's nose deceived him. He was almost blind physically, but his blindness went deeper. It led to his other senses being deceived as well. His taste, his touch, his smell. Only his hearing wasn't deceived, but it was outvoted by the other three. So now the blessing came. See the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This blessing describes what Jacob will get, prosperity. It describes what his relationships will be, dominance over his brothers and over nations. But this last part of the blessing and, and 
it's cursing for those who curse you and blessing for those who bless you is directly from the blessing given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. So this is the same blessing being passed on from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob. Again, Jacob is a scoundrel. And God's word makes the same assessment of him in Hosea 12, 2 and 3. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will pay him for the, his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. In his manhood, he strove with God. So Jacob receives the blessing, even though his behavior doesn't warrant it. Isaac, in choosing Esau, was motivated by cultural tradition. He was motivated by personal affection. He was motivated by physical appetite. But God, in choosing Jacob, was motivated by sovereign election. The line of blessing is continuing, again, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. This blessing is tied to eternal blessing, to salvation. God chooses Jacob not just to receive a, a temporal blessing, but to receive eternal life. God chooses Jacob in spite of Jacob. That's election. Please turn with me in your Bible to uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. Romans 9, 10 to 13. Again, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, where we're going to look at it again, Lord willing, next week as we look at Esau. Romans 9, verse 10. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good nor bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. They weren't yet born. They hadn't done anything, good or bad. And it wasn't as though God looked through the corridors of time and saw all the good that Jacob would do. The bad was right there too, quite prominently in this chapter. It is the God's purpose of election that prevails. The older will serve the younger because God says, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. Now, I don't know why God chose Jacob. I don't know what was in God's mind that motivated God to choose Jacob over Esau. Esau was the one that, that from a, a traditional perspective, deserved the blessing. But God chose Jacob instead. And it wasn't as though, yes, Esau did some wicked things, but so did Jacob. I don't know why God chose Jacob instead of Esau, but I don't know why God chose you either. I don't know why God chose me. Certainly not because of any, any good works that, that I was going to do. But because of his divine purpose according to election. Jacob's blessing is an undeserved blessing. That's grace. Jacob didn't deserve it. Now again, from a fleshy perspective, that's unfair. It's scandalous. Jacob was pursuing a good goal, but in an entirely wrong way. How can God bless such wickedness? How can a holy God use such wicked individuals to achieve his ends? As I, as I was meditating on this passage, this, this, this bothered me. This stuck in my craw. Maybe it bothers you too. 
Chapter 5 of the 1689 Baptist Confession, I, I think, provides some helpful insights. And, and let me quote paragraphs 2 and 3. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly. So there's not anything befalls any by chance or without his providence. Yet, by the same providence, he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without, above, or against them at his pleasure. In other words, God who is sovereign over all is free to use secondary means, even the actions of sinful men and women, to achieve his will. God's plan is fulfilled in spite of Isaac's rebellion, in spite of Rebekah's ruse, in spite of Jacob's robbery. God's will will be done. Yes, God uses man's will, even when that man's will is directly opposed to God's will to achieve God's ultimate will. God does not need our help, but he is free to use our help according to his sovereign purposes. One of the last verses in Genesis, Genesis 50, 20, teaches this principle explicitly. When Joseph speaks to his brothers regarding their treachery, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about many people who should be kept alive as they are today. Genesis 50, 20. God is sober, sovereign over all, yet he is never the author of sin. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, 33. Nothing can hinder God's blessing, the eternal blessing. God's will will be done. However, as we'll see next week, by sinfully taking matters into your own hands, you can get yourself some real pain. You can experience some real hurt along the way to the promised land. Isaac rebelliously sought to give the blessing to Esau. Rebekah concocted a ruse to get Jacob the blessing. Jacob deceived Isaac to rob Esau of the blessing. God ordains the ends, but he uses human means, even sinful human means, to achieve them. God has achieved his intended result even through wicked, wicked actions. Again, as, as I was preparing, I, Jane and I had a conversation about this earlier in the week, and, and she reminded me of something vitally important. We think about how God the holy God uses, uses sinful actions, the sinful actions of men to achieve his, ends, his, his means, his ultimate ends. She said, man sins put Jesus on the cross. As Peter preached in Acts 2.23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. As the Christians prayed in Acts 4, 27 and 28, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God is not the author of sin. However, he often uses secondary causes to achieve his ends, even sinful secondary causes. 
It was the sin of man that put Jesus on the cross, just as it was the sin of, of man and woman that put the blessing in Jacob's hands. But God was sovereignly superintending the whole thing. So how can a holy God use sinful men and women to achieve his ends? Look at your life. Look at your life. It wasn't just the sin of, of those men in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago who crucified Jesus. You crucified Jesus. I crucified Jesus. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. Our sins led to the crucifixion. No, we were not physically there, but we are culpable. We are culpable because it is our guilt that required the death of none less than God the Son. But death was not the end. As Peter continued in Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So look to Jesus in repentance and faith. Worship him with love and thanksgiving that, that all he has done because of, all, because of all that you have done. God's will will be done. His grace prevails even over your sin and my sin. Let's pray together. Holy and merciful God, When we consider who you are, we see ourselves for what we are. Lord, we call out to you, having nothing that would commend us to you, except for the faith that you have given us from your sovereign grace. Lord, we come to you as those for whom Christ died and ask that you would hear us, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, to see with a, a biblical light, to see with biblical eyes. Lord, who you are in your sovereignty and also who you are in your mercy and grace and that we would come to you fleeing the wrath to come. We pray this in the majestic and glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.